Good morning. I am really glad you're here this morning. And as Matt led us in prayer in here and Ryan led in prayer over in North, if there's ever a time when the church needs to be the church and our nation, it's now. Not just how we live out our lives in truth and light and love and grace, but that we would be people who would be praying that God would do a work of revival in our nation, that we would be his people in this time. So continue to pray, as the scripture says, for our governing authorities. Would you take your Bibles with me now and turn to Acts chapter 20? We're going to begin today our study in the book of Ephesians, the the letter that Paul wrote to the church there at Ephesus, but we're going to start actually in Acts 20 because it's in Acts 20 that Paul records his reflection, excuse me, Luke records it, but it's his reflection back on his time there in Ephesus and his time there. In this Acts chapter 20, we're going to see him make a bold claim as he looks back. And here's why I want to look at Acts 20. Because it's not only going to give us a historical background to what Paul wrote in Ephesus, it's this morning going to serve as also a time for us to look forward as a church and what God would want to do in and through this local body in Jacks. So you see the two sides. Acts 20 is going to be Paul speaking to the elders of the church there in Ephesus about his time there in the rearview mirror. And then we're going to look at, in the same way, what is it that God has for us through the windshield, through the, the future here at Christian Family Chapel, and what it means for us as a local body. All right? So there in Acts 20, we're going to start in verse 17 and work our way through a portion of this chapter. All right, so he begins with, from Miletus, verse 17, he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. Now understand what that means before we read on, is that Paul went to Ephesus, there was not a church there. He declared the gospel, a church was born, and he, uh, by the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, instructed them that there would be elders raised up, local leaders, under shepherds of the chief shepherd, Jesus, who would lead that flock, that local body. So he has called for them. And he sa- it says in verse 18, and when they, the elders had come to him, he said to them, you yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials, which came upon me through the plot of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except 
that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city saying that bonds and afflictions wait me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. It's Paul's there. A bold claim as he looked back. In a phrase, when he said all that he said to him there, he said, bottom line, as I look in the rearview mirror of my years there in Ephesus, I am innocent of the blood of all men. Now that's a bold claim. What's it mean? Well, when he says all men, is he saying every person around the entire world? No, he, he didn't have exposure to every person around the entire world. He is saying to the elders at Ephesus, I am innocent of the blood of all in that region, in that area in which I lived for a few years. Innocent in what way? That they wouldn't die? That they wouldn't die eternally? That all of them were saved? No? Watch. Innocent that when every person would stand before the Lord, Paul would have confidence that he had lived life in such a way that they would have heard and seen Jesus in his life. That's a pretty bold claim, right? Let's keep it real. Don't miss this. If you were to pack the U-Haul truck tomorrow and move out of your neighborhood off of your street, or if you were to clean out the desk tomorrow and you would change from wherever you're working now to a new place, could you drive off the street or close the office door or whatever you do for work and look in the rear view mirror of however long you've lived on that street or worked for that company and go, God, I have a clear conscience that I'm innocent the blood of everybody who lived on that street, blood of everybody who worked in that company, who you gave me interaction with because, what? Because I fulfilled the ministry that you gave to me in that place for that time. Or would there be, maybe more likely, for really honest, some, oh Lord, I wasted, I wasted the opportunity. I was too shy, I was too quiet, I was too scared. I was too consumed with self. I was too consumed with making money. 
that I missed what you had for me in that place. Do you feel with me the the bold claim of really being able to go, hey, I fulfilled completely all that God had for me in that place. That's the bold claim. And he articulates for us why. And I want to share it with you. I want us to look at it so that we would be able to go, well, this is what it would mean for me to live in my neighborhood and to work in my job and be able to drive away, walk away and go, I'm innocent before the Lord. He says this is true because first, verse 18 and 19, did you see it? I was with you the whole time doing what? Serving the Lord. How? With all humility, tears, and trials. So he says, I'm innocent because uh, when I was there, I was serving the Lord. And the, the three specifics by which he describes how he was serving the Lord are significant. I was serving the Lord with humility, he says. Now, as I reflected on that statement, here's what occurred to me. Can you serve the Lord without humility? Yeah, I don't think you can. Because if it's without humility, I may be doing things that look like serving the Lord, but who am I actually serving? I'm serving me. So uh, it's not always, hey, are we doing the right thing? Uh, Are we doing the right thing in the right way? Uh, I was serving the Lord, yes, with humility. In other words, it wasn't about me. I didn't drive away going, I hope they remember me. I drove away hope that they experienced Jesus with tears. There's heart here. There's There's as strong as Paul was, there's a heart that loved people, that was broken by their brokenness, that was burdened by their lostness. This is... Super challenging us if, if we'll engage right now to ask, have I ever wept over anybody else's soul? Have I ever been burdened to the point of tears by the brokenness in people's lives? Or am I simply just glad it's not me? He's going, I serve the Lord with humility, with tears, there was brokenness, and with trials. It always cracks me up when people go, oh, my job's so hard, I just want to go into the ministry. Because there's no other trials there. That's the easy part. I literally had a business owner tell me one time, Doug, I think I'm selling my business because I am so tired of just personnel issues in my job. So you want to go to a church where there are no personnel issues. You know, when the church is equal people. <laughs> now there's, there's trials. But don't miss this. What did he continue to do? Because he says the whole time I was there, in spite of trials, what did he continue to do? Serve the Lord. Sometimes we would just want to quit. Met with a young pastor this week. Love the guy. Has uh, 
leads a church here in Mandarin. He said, Doug, I just wanted to quit multiple times during COVID. In one day, I was accused of being a baby killer and a Satan follower, both by people's opinion about what I was doing with a mask and what I wasn't doing with a mask. He was like, ah, I just, I don't kill babies or follow Satan. I was like, are either of those true? No, but it was said by people who have been really close to me. You see, Paul goes, it was hard, but I kept at it. I recognize that there are hard things about your job, your life, your work, where you live. Don't let it stop you from serving the Lord wherever God has placed you. He says, I'm innocent because I serve the Lord with humility, tears, trials. But it doesn't stop there. Solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Why is he innocent? Why can he look in the rearview mirror? Why could you drive out of your neighborhood and go because, hey, as long as I was there, as long as I lived there, I was serving the Lord. I was declaring the gospel. And he's very clear what he means by declaring the gospel. I was declaring a gospel of repentance, a change of mind, and of faith in Jesus. And I was declaring it to Jews and Gentiles. In other words, I was declaring it without discrimination. Which is challenging because sometimes we, we think, ah, they don't need the Lord. I think they already have the Lord. They're really nice people. Or I don't want to share with them. They're like so far out, they don't want to hear it. And he's gone. Everybody needs to repent. There is no gospel apart from repentance. For the Jew, the changing of the mind of what? Being Jewish is not enough. That was repentance for the Jews. For the Gentiles, it was a repentance. These gods that I have given my life to are not real. They're false gods. There is no hope in them. But there's not just a changing of mind from something. There's a changing of mind to something. Faith in Jesus. So let me be sure that I'm innocent of the blood of all who are listening right now. There is no salvation apart from believing in Jesus. You cannot be saved because you were baptized as an infant. You will not be saved because you spent your life going to church. You'll not be saved because you read your Bible or you say your prayers. You will only be saved by acknowledging, I am a sinner before God, I deserve his wrath, but I believe that Jesus paid my penalty and that in him and only in him, I can have eternal life and abundant life. That's the gospel. And Paul said, I declared it to Jews, to Greeks, wherever I went. I didn't shrink from declaring to you not only the gospel, I didn't shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house. Innocent because I was serving the Lord. Innocent because I was declaring the gospel. Innocent because I was teaching the scriptures. 
But do you notice, he says, it's not just from a platform, publicly and privately. There are those that God has gifted to teach, but all of us are to be teachers. I think Paul was a gifted teacher. But that didn't mean he went, oh no, I only, I only teach when there's a platform. Every single child of God listening right now, we have a responsibility, the privilege to say, what has been given to me, I'm going to share with others. It might be just across a burger or a salad, or it might be in my home, it might be with my neighbor, it might be a coworker, but I am going to share that which has been shared with me in terms of the truth of the scriptures, publicly and privately. And he says, I didn't shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. So our teaching, this is why here at the chapel, publicly we're committed to let's take a book and let's work our way through verse by verse. Because it's easy to go, here are my seven favorite things that I want to teach on. And I'm just going to teach you those seven favorite things. And in doing that, we miss the whole purpose of God. And when we miss the whole purpose of God, then we're not going to be growing into the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. If you want to know why we teach systematically through the scriptures, it's because that is the way God has defined that we're going to grow into Christ's likeness, not picking our seven favorite things. It's the whole purpose of God. It's what Paul was committed to publicly and privately there in Ephesus. And then... He says, in everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so he is innocent because he's gone. It was just not the gospel. It was not just spiritual things. I helped people. The weak Those who needed help, those who needed provision, I helped them. Help the weak. Now, let me show you what might be most compelling of all of this. Look at verse 34. Paul says, you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. You know what he's saying by that? He's saying, I'm innocent of blood of all men because I served the Lord, I declared the gospel, I taught the scriptures, and I helped the weak, and I did it in the context of doing what? My own job. Sometimes we think, Paul, well, Paul accomplished so much because he is what you and I might think a professional minister. And what's powerful to me in this text as we look forward is this reminder that Paul says, I did all of that while working. I'm not compelling to you. 
here's what I hope you'll, you'll capture. And this is why I left the asterisk up at the top. I didn't forget it. I intentionally left it at the top. He says, I'm innocent of the blood of all my, all men in addition to his full-time job. Why? Why? Because a life innocent of the blood of all men is not dependent on an occupation. It's a lifestyle. Don't think, oh, please capture this. Don't think my job keeps me from doing what the Lord wants me to do in this community. No, your job is the entry. It's the platform for you to be able to do what God has for you in this community. It's not getting in the way. It's connecting you. Every single one of you, wherever you work, have opportunity to have impact in the way that a quote-unquote professional minister wouldn't. Because you work with them every single day. Right? Is that true about where you live? Yeah, that's, that's what's so powerful about this concept that we introduced called neighbortude. That, that we would simply, all of us, have the attitude of Jesus to our literal neighbors. Because your literal neighbors are different than mine. And different from yours. And different from yours. And different from yours. But God has placed you there. You there. You there. Me where I am. And as we live it out, it's not keeping us from doing the work of the Lord. It's the context in which we do it. You tracking? Yeah, this is the beauty of what it means for us to be able to go, as we look forward in the manner that Paul looked back, to be innocent is not about an occupation. Otherwise, if it was, then my need would be to have an altar call here right at the end where you all came forward and gave yourselves to go into full-time professional ministry. That'd be terrible. Because <laughs> we would be defying how God has intended the church to be. Gathered and then scattered, dispersed, gone out to live it out wherever God has placed us. So it's a lifestyle of what? Serving the Lord. In whatever job, occupation you have. Declaring the gospel in whatever place you get to serve. Wherever you live. Teaching the scriptures. Whether that's publicly or privately in your home. And helping the week. I mean, just think about if really every one of us said, to the degree that I am aware and God has enabled me, I'm going to help the weak. In my family and the people that God has placed around me. Really challenged 
by the former mayor of Cincinnati who serves on the board with me at Columbia who simply said, big government is totally unnecessary where there is healthy family. Totally unnecessary. I'm not getting in political, don't worry. That's not a political statement. That's a people of God living out who he's made us to be statement. That when, when we live lifestyles of serving the Lord, helping the weak, declaring the gospel, teaching in whatever context, not removing ourselves from the context, but whatever context God has placed us, then we're the church being, being the church as God intended us to do. So that's Paul looking back. What about us looking forward? CFC, in this community where God has placed us, what would it mean for us to have a bold vision looking forward that would be no different than Paul's claim looking back? Would it not be a bold vision for us to simply say, looking forward, that in the coming years, we would be able to say in 2023, 2024, looking back, we are innocent of the blood of all men. Is that too lofty? Is that too big? Or is that exactly how we would want to live individually and as a church being the church? So your elders, and I'm speaking on really their behalf the rest of this message, your elders in prayerful time together want to share with you four initiatives that we believe are important for us to be innocent of the blood of all men going forward. Some of these will make you go, oh, of course. And others you may go, I'm not sure I understand. So I'm going to take a few minutes to try to explain. First, if we're going to be innocent of the blood of all men, we believe going forward that before God, we wouldn't want to reach more people through targeted digital ministry. Targeted digital ministry. Now, what do we mean by that? Uh, first of all, here's what we don't mean. We don't mean an online church. Here's why. What's our mission? What's our purpose? Why do we exist? Here's how we say it at the chapel. To grow fully devoted, spirit-empowered Christ followers. That's not changing. How might we do that? To be innocent of the blood of all men going forward? We would recognize we can't do it fully digitally. So we're not talking about an online church. There are folks who do that. I'm not standing here to be critical of them. Your elders have said we're not looking to start an online church for the simple reason that there are things that can be accomplished digitally and there are things that require life-on-life relationship. But as COVID has revealed, there are certainly aspects of how we can reach people digitally that we want to maximize. We learn very quickly that people who would never 
take a first step of a physical presence on a campus would check out something digitally. I was shocked. I think you've heard me say. I was shocked that on the eight houses on our street, three of the folks who have never stepped foot on here physically went out of their way to say, hey, we've, we've watched online. Why would, why would somebody do that? Why are some of you doing that right now? <laughs> well, for some, it was a physical safety issue. Others, it's simply, uh, I've never really been certain that if I went to church, they wouldn't do weird things to me. You think some people are afraid of church people in church? Absolutely. Absolutely. They're like, if I show up there, they're going to do something weird to me. Or, if I show up there and I'm not really digging it, it's really kind of awkward to walk out. But you know what? Right now, some of you are going, yeah, huh, I'm out. Or I'm going to stay in. All I'm simply saying is this. Targeted digital ministry is about uh, there's an increased front door, if you will. It can't do the whole thing. But we can reach far more people digitally than we could have ever started physically. Think of how much your world is digital now versus physical. How many of you would say you bought 50% of your Christmas online? 50% or more online. That's what I thought. It's how people function now. Is it the full deal? No. And targeted means this. We're not talking about Kansas. We're talking about who has God placed in a reasonable driving distance that we would want to expose the truth of the gospel to and the truth of scriptures to? Why within reasonable driving distance? Well, because we're not starting an online church. We're simply saying it's the entryway, it's the exposure, but to grow fully devoted spirit and power Christ followers, digital will need to turn physical. So we're not talking Kansas. What's your part in that? What do you do with anything you like digitally? <laughs> you share it. You share it. You forward it. So that other people become more aware. Or some of you are like, man, I love that and I've never really thought I could use that in the church. I always thought like serving in the church was in the nursery and I'm like, I'm out on the nursery. <laughs> but I could use social media, digital skills, video skills, editing skills for the sake of the kingdom of God. What's the truth in that? More than ever. More than ever. There's opportunity to think much more broadly of what it means to be a part of utilizing your gifts and God-given skills 
for the sake of the kingdom, beyond what you would normally think of just a physical ministry. So, if you have digital skills, we have a communications director, Tracy Johnson. She hosts the Q&A with me. Maybe you would go, hey, I want to do, be a part of that. Tracy J at cfcjax.com. It's really easy. First name, first letter of last name. Tracy J, cfcjax.com. But as you see things, go out and you go, man, I love the scriptures. I love the gospel. I love truth. Share it. Second, to reach more people through actively pursuing a more racially diverse community. It's easy for me to see. Is it easy for you to see? Do we look like our community? Do we racially look like our community? I'll say it for you if you're hesitant to say, no, we don't. We look almost entirely white. Is our community entirely white? No. See, there's a picture that the scripture gives us that in heaven there will be those who worship from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. And so the, the, the vision there is that globally what is true now will be true from every segment in heaven, worshipers, from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. So we're not a global church we're a we're part of a global church but we are a local body so if heaven intends to be a picture of the global church then a local church ought to look more like the local community you tracking and so very intentionally Pursuing a more racially diverse community. I'm always grateful when we have diversity represented at CFC. Just asking the Lord for more. So it's not easy to see how that biblically would glorify God. But do you understand why this is important? It's important because, listen, right now, a person of color, when they come into this body, what do their eyes tell them? I don't really fit here. Is that true? Okay, thank you. No, that's not true at all. But, but it is true that their first impression, we just don't want it to be their only impression, their first impression would be, I don't fit here. And so it is so, so, so important, church, that when the community in which we live, and it looks like it becomes part of 
they visit here, they come here because you build intentional relationships within our community that we go out of our way to demonstrate your eyes aren't telling you the whole truth. You understand what I'm saying? I don't know how to communicate except too clearly to you. When a white person comes here, I want to welcome them because we're to be hospitable. But you know what your eyes, their eyes tell them? I'm really welcome here. I really fit here. And so when a person of diversity comes, I want to be extra hospitable. Is that fake? No, that's not fake. That's not being fake. That's recognizing that their eyes are telling them, oh, I'm not sure if I'm welcome here and I'm going to make sure I can do everything possible and it's not me, it's us. (laughs) You know, we have a greeting ministry here. We have a greeting team here. And I'm grateful for that. But you know what I hate about a greeting team? Sorry, but you know what I hate about a greeting team? Is that we need one. <laughs> hey, we shouldn't need a greeting team. Who's the greeting team? Yeah, hello. Thank you for, re- all of us ought to intend to be the, we are hospitable. In other words, hospitable means we give warm invitation, warm welcome, warm welcome, gracious invitation. Especially to those who go, I'm not sure if I belong here. That's not fake. If I'm having a family reunion, like, well, I won't get into the details, not enough time. But if, if all my kids were, there's 22 of us together, and I invite my neighbor, do you think I'd go, extra out of my way to make sure my neighbor who's been invited feels welcome because what do their eyes tell them? I'm the only non-family member here. You got it? So, let's build individually intentional relationships with the love for God heart for the gospel, diversity. And when God blesses us with folks who would come and see that their first impression would not be their final impression. Third, that we would reach more people through greater, through increased global impact. More people through increased global impact. And increased here is certain, I hope you capture this, it's increased because one of the things I do love about CFC is the amount of global impact we currently participate in. The number of folks who are commended missionaries who, who grew up in this body who, or who were 
part of this body even as adults. And by God's leading, they either change careers to say, I want to give myself to the gospel going to the ends of the earth. Or students who grew up in this ministry and believed that God was calling them to give themselves to the gospel to the nations. Grateful. Our elders simply believe this. We have even greater capacity to impact the nations. That we, even though we're just a medium-sized church here in Mandarin, that we can have a mega impact globally. Because I've just seen you respond. In 2020, what a privilege to see students who grew up in this ministry to be a couple commended to the Middle East. To next week, we'll have an opportunity to have a a lady who has been in this body for decades say, I am going to take all my experience in education here and take it for the sake of the gospel to North Africa. And that that you are responding to that. It was classic. In December, our children's ministry said, we want to help blind children in Africa through one of our commended missionaries, and they sought to raise $600 to help blind children in Africa. The children did. Children helping children. And then... Some adults started hearing about it. I referenced it before Christmas about what was going on. We went from $600 to you. We didn't even ask you to do this. As of Wednesday, over $20,000. Yeah, just that's without asking. And this isn't a setup. I'm not about to go. Now I'm asking. That's just, that's just a reflection. Of the, God has given this body an opportunity to make global impact. And so we're asking in the coming years, God, raise up more. More more who would go, I'm available to go to the nations. More who would say, I could spend $500 and buy something for me, or I could invest $500 in person who is taking the gospel to those who are outside the gospel and that $500 is so much more valuable than what I'd ever buy for me. I think that's why you gave $20,000 because you went, I could buy something for me for $400 or I could make a child see. That is a no-brainer. Right? That's a no-brainer. Nothing I could ever spend $400 on would be equal to helping a child see for the rest of their life. And if that's true for physical sight, friends, is that not true for the soul to see spiritually? See, we have, we have global impact. We just think there's lots more that we could do as a body. Part of that may mean that you would take, do a perspectives course that starts today. Fourth, here, to reach more people through more focused internal programming. That, 
This is going to take some explanation. As you write that down, uh, to reach more people through more focused internal programming. What do I mean? Well, let me give you an analogy that I think it will become a hopefully crystal clear about what I mean. 35 years ago, Jackie and I were married, and right after we got married, we moved to Jacksonville to begin life together. And everything we owned fit in a 5 by 8 U-Haul trailer pulled behind my grandfather's van. That was everything we owned. And it wasn't a lot, unless I compare it to when my son went to Rochester, and everything fit in his Toyota. So we started life here with everything in a U-Haul trailer. One of the things that was not in that trailer was a cooler. But if you live in Florida and you want to go to the beach and you love to be on the water, what do you need? A cooler. So we had never had a cooler, but we got a cooler. I don't know if this was the first cooler, but we got a cooler. But you know, that was 35 years ago and it didn't just stop with this cooler. Somewhere along the line, I really don't remember how, but we got another cooler. This one's a little taller, so it fits things that this one didn't, and it's got really like cool cup holders in the top. And sometimes that's too big, so we got this one. And then, I mean, are you really a man if you don't have a Yeti? So we got a Yeti because that keeps ice cold for like weeks, it seems. But then we had this little boat and there were eight of us and only six seats. So I thought, what if I bought a cooler that had a seat on top of it so that two of my kids could sit on that? And this cooler, I don't even, I think it might be my son's. I'm really not sure. Did we talk about this cooler yet? I don't think we, maybe we did. But then we got this one. Because this one's a little big, this one's a little short, this is just right. And then we ended up with this one and I realized it was in my garage and it says somebody else's name on it. And I thought, oh, this was pre-pandemic. He brought me some black fin tuna and I never gave him his cooler back and I opened it up and his ice packs are still inside. And then I use this cooler a lot, but people always say, why does it say Finley on it? I was like, because I was driving down the road and it was out for the trash and I thought, oh, I used to have a cooler like that. I should get that cooler. So I use the Finleys, who are friends of some members here I found out Friday night. I took their cooler out of the trash. You guys, for 25 years, gave us beach chairs built in coolers. See, time to chill. So you got to have. Oh, it's down here. I was like, where's my favorite twin? See, I got all these hard coolers and hard coolers are good for some things, but then you need a soft cooler because then this is very easy. A strap broke off, but I hate to get rid of it because some friends gave it to me and, and inside of it's it's little twin. So we have that cooler. And then I found out about this cooler because when I go fishing on my kayak, I can put ice in here and then put my redfish right in here and it sits right on the back in a way that, because I catch too big a fish for that, and this won't tie to my kayak very well. And this is Jackie's cooler. 
for like her yogurt and banana. And I don't know where we got this cooler, but it's kind of, it's kind of like a beach bag with a cooler built into the bottom of it. This is crazy, is it not? Now, folks, look at, look at all this. And you may go, well, um, Doug, confession's good for the soul, so thanks for confessing. What's your point? My point is, it all started with, with one. And somehow, slowly but surely, this was not intentional. In case you're wondering, did you collect these? No. Thursday morning, I simply backed up my truck to the garage, and these were all in my garage. If you wonder why I drive a truck, it's to transport my coolers. <laughs> you think... You've got a problem. <laughs> and what's the point? <laughs> Here's the point. We have a church cooler complex. <laughs> Meaning what? In the church, coolers are programs. And our 48-year history has produced a vast array of internal programming. What did we start with? Worship service. Worship service. And then along the line, we got variations of all sorts of stuff. No bad coolers, no bad programs, just a zillion of them. And here's the problem with that, with a church cooler complex, we become consumed with doing all the activity of church, that there's no time left for actually being the church, because it takes all of our time to create the program, to staff the program, to fill the program, to evaluate the program, to fund the program, and we got all of them. And in reality, you ought to be asking, hey Doug, how many blue white top coolers can you possibly have? Just like we might go, how many slight variations of Groups can we possibly have at CFC? See, this is the one that is two things. Of this initiative, it's the hardest because we love these things. You might go, well, why don't you just get rid of some of your coolers, Doug? Jackie tries. And we could probably agree on this one. <laughs> but everything else, and so it's, it's hard. Because it's not bad stuff. It's good stuff. It's just consuming stuff. And therefore, it's the hardest and most important because what's the goal? 
more people through more focused. Can I translate that for you? I hope you can see it now very clearly. What's focused mean? Less. Less. And less is hard. Unless you have vision that we will never reach more until we do less internally. So will there be some grieving in the process? It's my favorite. And I'm not mocking that. But we're never church going to be the church as long as we are consumed doing church. So see it and remember that less is in order to reach more. And we, we want to reach more simply because we want to be innocent. Innocent of the blood of all men. Now that seems overly dramatic, but that's the language straight from Scripture, friends. To be innocent of the blood of all men. Less here so that we can do what? More there. How often are we driving right out of the very places that God has placed us to come here to do something instead of being who he's called us to be, where he's called us to be? So I want you to bow with me if you would. In, in a unique way, bow with me by standing up as well. As you stand, bowed before the Lord, would you put your hands out like this? It's a reminder that Paul lived with a reality that you and I need and that is to go I need to look at my hands not overly dramatic but is there, is there blood on my hands souls on my hands that, that I've not fulfilled what God has called me to do in my job in my community through his work in this body. Would you, with your hands open before the Lord, just quietly there, present yourself to him. Lord, my hands are open to you, presented to you. Would you tell him, I want to be your instruments for more people finding life in Jesus. As you sent, Lord Jesus, as you sent Paul to Ephesus, send us to Greenland Road, to Old St. Augustine, to Racetrack. Send us to Orange Park, and then to the ends of the earth. 
to live being your body in the power of the Spirit. Would you declare this as your prayer before the Lord?